0: Beautiful. See, that now it feels like Christmas to me. Once we start singing those songs, uh, that's what does it for me. They've been playing Christmas music on the radio for like a month already. <clears throat> I'm so bored with it, I've already listened to Hard Acid Rock on the only station not playing Christmas music. because uh, Every once in a while you just need a break from, you know, the Christmas stuff. But now this is, this is the real Christmas music right here. Uh, we're starting our, our Christmas series this morning. I want to start this morning... Uh, by talking about our wish list. That's where we begin, because uh, and I'm, in case you didn't know, I'm the shopper in the family. Uh, I, stereotypically, that's a kind of a, a woman's thing, you know, the woman's the spender and the shopper. We have role reversal in our house. I am the shopper for sure. I may be just a little hot. You may take me down, Andrew. Andrew in the sound booth, eye contact. Take me down just a little bit in the house, okay? <clears throat> uh, I, I'm the shopper in the group, and for me... I enjoy shopping. I know some of you just, you can't even imagine that. You hate it. I love it. I love buying things. I love i love spending money. I love giving gifts. Uh, I, I love, uh, uh, t- to me, uh, it's, it's, it's like a mission. You give me these like 10 things I need to get and I'm going to find them. I'm going to find it in the color you want, in the size you want, and I'm going to find it for the best price out there. And I'm going to start at Amazon and then I'm going to, Then get in the car. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find it. It's like a mission that you've gotta, you gotta tick off. And the way I do it is, I have to have a list. So before Thanksgiving, I'm already, I'm, I'm calling the boys and texting the boys and talking to Susan and Mom and Give me your list. Send me your list. What do you want for Christmas? Get it to me. And of course, they were having finals before Christmas and. And uh, they were like distracted, and I couldn't get a list. So I'm texting them, and I'm like, uh, "The list deadline is X." You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> if you don't get your list in, shopping will have closed. You know what I'm saying? Get your. And so I'm just pounding. Send me your list. I want to know what you want because part of the joy of giving is giving what people want. Uh, because when they get what they want, it brings a certain joy to your life, to want for something and then have someone sacrificially give and purchase that or search for it. Maybe it's a hard-to-find item. And then get that, secure that thing for you. Now, when it comes to this season for us, I love, I love that our tradition, uh, not just here in America, but really it, it permeates the whole world, our tradition is to give gifts to each other As a way to celebrate the season when God gave to mankind the greatest gift that was ever given, when he gave his son Jesus Christ to be our Savior. Never think that Macy's invented Christmas. Don't think that America invented Christmas as a part of capitalism, you know, and and, and that December we make our whole, you know, budget for the year and all that. That's just a side thing that happened. The reason there is a Christmas is because God invented Christmas. He invented Christmas by initiating Christmas with the act of giving. For God so loved the world that he, he gave His only begotten Son. And that cycle of giving and then returning thanks. As I told you last week, I think Thanksgiving should be moved to after Christmas. So that then we can receive and then we can then have a month of, of Thanksgiving where we're just... Gracious and thankful and, and and all of that to those who have given. Uh, when I purchase, when I shop, <clears throat> I, I love to purchase with value in mind. In other words, I, I don't throw money away. I don't have enough to throw it away. I, I assume you're in the same boat. So when we go shopping, I need to know that if I'm going to spend this amount of money, that what I'm going to get in return is worth that amount of money. I don't want to just throw money away. Because an item is popular. Now we, we, we you know, our kids are, are, are young adults now, but we we were shopping for toys back in the days when the tickle me Elmo, and the and the you know what I'm saying, and your parents were shopping back in the days when the Cabbage Patch Kids or something was, was the big thing, and you couldn't, you can every season there's a toy you can't find, the price is triply inflated, and people are scratching each other's eyes out in the in the store trying to get them out, you know from each other. <clears throat> Most of those things that are those fat, hot things are not a value. We all agree on that. It's an overinflated price for, for something that's not, not a value. And One of the things that I've noticed in my own family, and, and we're all in different places, but you may have noticed it or you will be here, <clears throat> part of what being an empty nester is like is as your kids become young adults and you, the joy of watching their thinking change. The joy of watching their values shift from child childish values, from more selfish values to more value conscious, understanding the, 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 how hard it is to earn money, understanding what things cost in life, and, and but with, with the shift though, part of what we've noticed in our in our own family is a shift from quality of gift rather than quantity of gift. Uh, I think, Aaron, you'll remember one year they did it. We were doing a gift exchange on the staff, and one of the questions they put on the card to all of us was "Would you rather have quantity or quality. I'd love to go back and find all those cards, because I bet every person on the staff said quality. Almost all of us would rather have, you know, an awesome, one awesome tool in your workshop than a whole bunch of cheap, you know, Taiwanese made tools that don't last. They break. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's just kind of the way we, we, we start thinking as we mature. <clears throat> I've watched the boys' lists for Sure Shift. They're not asking for like 27 things anymore. When we get a list from the boys, there will be two or three, four things maybe on the list. They're small lists now. But here's the difference. Hmm. Those four things will all have a triple-digit price tag on them. But things are shifting, though. You understand what I'm saying? It's not about, I want all this junk that I... Now, I, here's what I need, but here's the bad news. Everything costs, you know, $100. So that, that's the dilemma uh, in, in the quality versus quantity shift in gift giving. But, for example, so like Jack, one of the things on his list was he said, I need a new pair of Birkenstocks. So now, let me just tell you about Birkenstocks if you don't know. They never go on sale. They're made in Germany, so they're licensed a certain way. Only a few stores carry them, uh, and, and they're hard to find. They're expensive. You can't buy... Imagine, you, so I'm like, really? You want a pair of sandals? And I'm looking at the price tag. They're $120, and they're hippie sandals. I mean, this is like, this is like what, you know, I remember hippies. This is what they wore, you know? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, But now here's his reply. Dad, the pair I've got, I've had for two and a half years. Okay, those were the magic words for me. Because now $125 that'll last two years or more, you know how fast an 18-year-old, 19-year-old boy can tear up a pair of shoes? Two years. Now, suddenly, what looked like an expensive gift suddenly turned into a value for me as a father and I'm like and if you can wear those for two years that'll be the cheapest thing I've ever bought you you know score one for score one for dad so I hope he's not watching the service so I went online and I went to you know uh, zappos.com you know if you haven't discovered zappos you need to and you know you can find what you need and all all of that now I'm just saying some of my own illustrations because I've had conversations with the Jareds this week and the Macbeths last week and and other people during the week. And and one of the, uh, Tommy Thompson and I had a conversation about this just a week ago. Many of our Cornerstone families are rethinking how they give, how we give to those we love. We're not only rethinking about the quality of the gifts that we're giving, but we're rethinking the quality of, of the whole experience of giving and receiving. Just rethinking the whole thing. You know, is it about having 400 boxes wrapped under the tree? Is that really what Christmas is about? Seeing all the stuff there and the anticipation of ripping through all of that in about 10 minutes and then the thrill is gone? Or is it about something else? Is it about the quality of the experience of giving and receiving and being together? This Christmas... I think we need to revive the idea of giving experiences rather than giving material stuff. I want you to hold on to this for a moment. follow it away in your brain. Susan, there's no telling how much stuff we've given to our kids in 20 years. Where is it? Now, I know where it's at. I'll tell you in a minute. But you understand what I'm saying? <clears throat> when we sit with our kids now who are young adults, around the table and we just talk about life and, 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 and memories and, you know, I'll tell you what's an interesting thing. Sit down with your children for ten minutes and ask them about their memories. Tell us what you remember about Christmas past. Tell us what you remember about when we lived at the other house and tell us what you can retain in your mind. You'll be shocked. You'll be shocked to hear what your kids memories are i want to challenge you to sit down at the dining room table sit down around the in the living room around the, the coffee table there and turn off the tv for a minute and get out a piece of paper or while you're having lunch or dinner with your family pull out a piece of paper and make a family bucket list a wish list sit down and make a list as a family and just go around the room And just say, okay, Greg, if you could do anything, what's on your list? You know, okay, Sophia, what's on your list? Okay, Carter, what's on your list? Okay, Cooper, what's on... And together make a family bucket list. Now, the younger they are, the less perspective they'll have to make that list. The older they get, the more perspective they'll have. So you need to visit that list often, add to it as they mature, and tick off the juvenile things that no longer matter, you know, because some won't matter after time. But then as a family, every year, start trying to figure out how to knock off things off that bucket list. One or two a year. Uh, <clears throat> I asked our children's pastor this week, Erica McAdoo, who's back there with your children right now, as we were sitting around the table and we, we talked about the sermon idea a little bit, and I turned to Erica and I said, Erica, what's on your list? Now, I hadn't told her everything I was preaching, but just what's on your list. And she got reflective. You know how your eyes go up into the side for a minute. And she got a little reflective there for a second. She looked at me and she said, you know what, Pastor? The only thing that's on my list is I want a healthy baby. And where I am right now carrying this child, I just don't care about any stuff at all. It's not even on my radar. I could care less. It means really nothing to me. So any of you buying stuff for Erica, you're you're off easy. Just write it right down and tell her you love her and you're praying for a healthy baby. You don't have to buy her anything. But but as she was articulating that, I was thinking in my heart, you know what? This is how your perspective changes. It really does. This is what maturity begins to look like in our lives. Not just physically, but spiritual maturity. Your list of things you want in this life the list of things that's going to fulfill you and bring you joy. She didn't say it this way, but what she was saying is the one thing that would fill my heart with joy more than anything in this life right now would just be to hold a healthy baby in my hands and know everything's okay. That's a mature, wise wish list. It, that's what's important, not the material. Now, sure, we all have a list of stuff we'd like. I mean, there's always things you want, you know what I'm saying, to add to the things you already have a million of. It's funny that we have houses full of stuff, but we don't like the stuff we have. We want different stuff to replace the stuff we have. But there's always stuff on our wish list, for sure. But I think all of us in this room could agree that we have a lot of stuff. All of us have a lot of of material possessions. I was uh, reading an article this week by Joshua Becker in this study that Joshua Becker did. Here, you'd be shocked by these statistics. He said the average child in the developed world owns 200 toys or more but only plays with 12 per day maximum. Any of you guys with young kids agree with that stat probably being true? Average child owns 200 or more toys plays with 12. Now I tell you what we used to do, because your grandparents get, everybody's going to give your kids toys, so maybe you don't have to give them. Does that make sense? You're giving something else. I guess Jeff, you and I were talking about that. Grandma's going to give the kids toys. We'll give, you know, something else. What we used to do is we had so many toys, Susan, you go up there and bag them all up in a trash bag and only leave three or four or five of them out. We'd go hide the rest of them in the attic. And they'd play with the ones that were out every once in a while. We'd go get the bag down and say, okay, you can pull out five more, but we'll put these five up. Does that make sense? And it was like Christmas all the time because they were going into the bag, you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, well, I forgot I had this. It was just, you know. Anyway, we have so much stuff, we forget how much stuff we have. The average family in America throws away more than 200 pounds of clothes per year. or gives away to goodwill, salvation. The average family gives away or throws away more than 200 pounds of clothes per year. 54% of adults in the United States report being overwhelmed by clutter. Am I, am I getting close to where anybody lives yet this morning? More than half of Americans feel like they're, they have too much clutter, which means we have too much stuff. Of that 54%, they asked them further questions and found out that 78% of that 54 so almost all, almost 80% of that group of people said, not only are they overwhelmed with clutter, but they have no idea how to solve it. They have no idea what to do with it. They're just so overwhelmed with it, they don't know what to throw away, what to keep, or how to organize what they have. Now, this one I know is true because this is one of my pet peeves. I see this all the time right here where we live in our, in our zip code. You Ready? Storage facilities, I don't even need to finish the sentence, do I? Storage facilities are the fastest growing real estate segment in the United States. Every time I drive down the road and there's a new storage facility, I'm going up, I'm like, who has all of this stuff? Have a garage sale for Pete's sake. You know what I'm saying? Throw it away. We're paying to store stuff that's not worth as much as we're paying to store it. Unless you have a classic Mustang in that storage unit, or a GTO from the, you know what I'm saying? I mean, or, or a Corvette. Unless you've got a car in there, what is it you're storing that you're paying $100 a month for 20 years to store? Well, just some junk. There's enough physical space in the storage units in the United States of America to put every man, woman, child in the United States of America all at the same time. There's more than 300 million Americans. What the statistics says is we can take all 300 million Americans and put them in the storage facilities of America and we have that much storage space we could store all of America, all Americans in our storage facilities. That's insane. Because not a, not every American even owns a home. Are you with me? Which means we rent more storage space than we even have homes to live in. That's crazy. All right, all right. We have so much stuff. The survey says that each of us will spend 3,680 hours or the equivalent of 153 days of our lives searching for misplaced items in our home. And you know that's true because you lose stuff all the time in your home. Why do you lose it? We have too much stuff. We can't find it. It's hidden here in the junk. The average person loses nine items per day, or 198,000, almost 200,000 items in a lifetime. And one of those is your keys over and over and over again. You know, your pocket knife, your watch, your cell phone. It's just lost in the house, the charging cable, the little brick, the cube, the... I just keep losing stuff. Why? Just stuff. We have too much stuff and we don't know where it's all at. According to research reported in the Journal of Psychological Science by Cornell University Professor Thomas Gilovich, here's his thesis statement. Experiences provide more lasting happiness than material possessions. I want you to soak that in because that's really what I want to drive home right now. Experiences experiences last. Sit down with your kids and say, what do you remember about the past? They'll say, well, the time that you took me, well, the time that you took off work and spent the day with, the time that we did this together, that one time when we went to the beach and built sandcastles for three days, that one time when we had, That one. it's not going to be, you know, you gave me the talking whatever doll for It's going to be an experience. Experiences provide more lasting happiness than material possessions. Now, let me just clue you and Cornell and all the researchers in. This research is about 2,000 years behind the Bible. Jesus is way ahead of us, okay? Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter number 12, verse 15. He said to them, take heed, take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness, For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave us the same thesis that Cornell Research did. He said, stuff won't make you happy. Abundance of possessions, you say, okay, I have more now than my neighbor. What is it, a contest that we keep score about who's going to be happy and who's not? You've got more stuff. or, Or where is the threshold of junk that you can store to where you finally say, okay, I have three rental units now full of junk. Now I'm happy. I mean, where where is the line that we can say, I keep accumulating, I can no longer jam even one more sweater in my closet, so now I must be happy. It just doesn't work because experiences provide lasting happiness, not material possessions. And if the secret of life, the secret of happiness in this life was through material gifts, then Jesus would have showed up called his twelve disciples and said to them, now for the next three years I will bury you in material gifts. For the next three years I'm going to give, 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 give junk to you and I'm going to buy you backpacks and suitcases and wherever we travel you're going to be carrying stuff and we're going to have to get a rental unit to put all of our stuff in and I'm going to shower you with stuff. But you know exactly the opposite was true because that's not the key to what an abundant life is really about. Instead, Jesus told his disciples, I'll spend time with you. We'll go on vacation together. We'll eat together. We'll fellowship together. We'll laugh together. We'll travel together. We'll forever be together. I will build an intimate relationship with you. I'll never leave you. If you need me, I'll always be here for you. Let's pray together. Let's worship together. Let's serve God together. Let's get on mission together. And Jesus said it's the relationship that's going to bring ultimate lasting joy to your life. He even went further than that. He said, your relationship with me, our relationship with each other, I'm the vine, you're the branches, except you abide in me, you cannot bear fruit. You know, that connection that we have is really the source of happiness and all blessing in your life. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is the means whereby the blessings of God can flow into your life. John 15 is that vine and branches abundant living chapter in your Bible. And in John 15, 7, Jesus said, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. If you're connected to me in a relationship, don't worry about the blessings. They'll just flow into your life. Whatever you need, you have not because you ask not, but it's all predicated It's all based, it's all founded on a relationship, a close relationship with me. Now, if you've not done so, make your list. Make your list. And in these next few weeks, bring your list to God. And say, God, this is what's on my list. Now, let let me quickly take you through three thoughts that I have any true telling of the Christmas story does not begin in the New Testament. It begins in the Old. Because the prophets long, long before Christ came said He's coming. And He's going to be, you know, a male born of a virgin of the tribe. I mean, there's the list. Seed of David. And all of those things that were prophesied about Jesus Christ ring true and were fulfilled by Jesus Christ. But there's other things in those Old Testament prophecies that also set us up for Christmas Because for for, for thousands of years, this is what the Jewish world was reading. Israel was reading the prophecies. And from those prophecies, they formulated essentially their wish list. What they were looking for in 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 a Messiah. And so Israel has a wish list. It came from the prophecies. And I don't want to bore you by reading the whole Old Testament. But let me just go to one passage. One passage. Ezekiel chapter 34 and let me just read a few verses about God talking to His people and you'll see how they developed their, their mental list of what they were looking for in Christmas. When Messiah comes, that's what Christmas is about. That Looking for in a, in, a, in, a, in a Messiah coming. Ezekiel 34, verse 12. Here's what's on their list. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered so when israel's reading the old testament here's what they put on their list israel said we want a strong warrior king who will come and rescue us (laughs) i will rescue them does that make sense by reading these prophecies they were saying okay we want a strong warrior king and when he comes nobody can stand against him and he will rescue all of us from all of our all of our enemies let me go down to verse 13 and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and all the inhabited places of the country. Israel said, "We're reading this verse. I will bring the we want a, we want an immigration policy for our nation that allows open immigration for all of anyone who is Jewish uh, heritage to be, even if they were captives, and let it to flow freely back into our own national borders it was on their list they wanted open borders for jews to come into the land the next verse 14 i will feed them with good pasture on the mountain heights of israel shall be their grazing land there they shall lie down in good grazing land on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of israel now if you come on wednesday nights and hear mom talking about psalm 23 you understand this language on Israel's wish list is they wanted to live in prosperity they were dead they'd been captives before and they knew what it meant to have an empty belly and go hungry and they said never again does that make sense anybody in here been poor you kind of develop this attitude when you get a good job and get out of that poverty never again it's kind of your attitude I'll never be hungry again it's miserable and so they said we want to be in prosperity we want, we want no one to ever go hungry. We want an economy that's booming with opportunity. What a great economy in our country. That's what we want our Messiah to bring to us. The next verse, 16, says, I will seek the lost. I'll bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong will I destroy. I will feed them in justice. So as Israel read this, they took their pen and they said, Let's add to our wish list health care for the sick, health care for everyone, help for the weak, and justice for all. It's reasonable? Let's read a little bit further. Verse 26. I will make the places, I will make them and all the places all around my hill of blessing. Just this will be a place of blessing. And I will send down the showers in their seasons, and they shall be showers Blessings. Anybody want to know where the song came from? Here you go. They shall be showers of blessing. Now, Israel got her pen and she sat down with her list, and they said, Add to our list. Here's what we want for Christmas from our Messiah. We want a land that is showered with blessings. 29. I will provide for them renowned plantations so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land. And no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. They said, not only do we want abundant food, we want to be respected among the other nations. We want standing in the world community. We want, we want a seat at the United Nations. We, we want to be respected as equal to the other big nations of the world. So now, just very quickly, let me recap. Basically, here's what they wanted. Border security, low taxes, freedom of worship, political power, influence among the nations, prosperity, and world peace. You know what? That's just about exactly what Americans want. Is it not? Border security, world peace, never be hungry, live in a land of plenty, have security, live in a country where everything is a shower of blessing, you know, when I look at Israel's list, I'm just thinking to myself, deja vu. That looks like America's list. Looks like every Miss America pageant I've ever seen. I would like world peace and prosperity and everyone to and unicorns and, and rainbows. and, I mean, it's just what it looks like. It, it, the list sounds pretty universal. That's Israel's list and really for most of the world, maybe even us, that's our list. Now, let me just transition to this. God also has a list. God also has a list. He has a wish list. Now, His list doesn't look very different than Israel's list or our list on the surface. At a casual glance, the lists look very similar. But if you study and look a little deeper, God's list below the surface has a vastly different motivation and a vastly different goal. God's list reflects His concern with what matters most in our lives rather than what just brings us joy for a fleeting moment. Do you hear what I said? Here's the difference. God's list has things on it that are lasting experiential things based in relationships, not just things you rip open and and it's really cool, wow, I'm excited, okay, that's done, it's over with. Does that make sense? It's not fleeting joy. It's not just to consume it upon a moment. God's list reflects what matters most in our life and what concerns God most. God's list is grounded and founded and based always in relationships, a relationship with Him foremost through faith in Jesus Christ and also, though, a relationship with other people. We talked about last week, when we come into worship, it's not about us. Who's it about? Consider one another that you may stir up one another to love and good works. We gather here this morning to worship God, but we also gather here this morning for our brothers and sisters to be encouraged in the Lord and to grow in their faith and to be challenged and stirred up. See, let me say it to you this way national security is a good thing. I wouldn't want it any other way, would you? National security is a good thing, but God wants us to have eternal security. One is temporary, one's forever one's temporary and then you're attacked and you're scared because they always find a way to attack you even with the greatest military in the world. Fly a plane into a tower, set off a bomb, shoot up a school. They're always going to find a way to terrorize you even with a strong military. God said, I want you to have something bigger, better on my list. Yes, I want you to be secure, but I want you to live in confidence knowing you have a forever home. I want you to live in eternal security in a relationship with Me. And all of you who have been through discipleship know that 1 John 5, 11 and 12 says this is the testimony that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in His... Whosoever has the... has life. Whosoever has the Son. You have a relationship with the Son. Well, there's where confidence and security... Here's the source of the blessings. Back to vine and branch. If you abide in Me, I have the Son... But whosoever does not have the Son does not have life. And you can live in the greatest country with the greatest security with the greatest military and still not have security. Still not have confidence about life and eternity if you don't know Jesus Christ. Now, we want to live in peace, whether that's socially or or nationally. We want to live a life of peace, but God wants you to have peace. He said, my peace I give to you. He means peace with God through Jesus Christ. He means you've made peace with God forever by receiving His Son, Jesus Christ, as your Savior. You have forever made peace with your heavenly Father. Citizenship's a big deal. And part of what's wrong in America right now is we've raised up now a generation or two or three and another one coming behind them that through the education system have not been taught anything about the value of citizenship. Citizenship is a big deal. It is not a frivolous, trivial matter. And if you think it is, then you ought to try to go be a citizen of another country and just see what the process looks like. Yeah. Go to Israel and say, I want to immigrate. They'll say, awesome. You have to serve a minimum of three, four, five years in the military to be a citizen of this country. You say, well, I, I'm, I'm 18. We'll take you. You say, well, I'm 25. Sign them up. Say, well, I'm 30. If you want citizenship, mandatory service in the military. You say, well, I'm a woman. Mandatory service in the military to become a citizen of this country. It's a big deal. That's why. It's a big deal. It's nothing light or, or cheap or, or frivolous. But you know what? Jesus shows up and he says, I don't want you to be a citizen of the greatest country on earth. Even that can be shaky. I want you to become a citizen of a new kingdom that's not of this earth. I want to write your name in the citizenship log called the Lamb's Book of Life and I want to make you a citizen of a spiritual kingdom and your whole mission in life will be to recruit other people for that spiritual kingdom because if you had perspective on what life is really about what you're in right now is just kindergarten the rest of your life is coming after this life and what you learn right now in kindergarten is going to determine your position you're in an internship right now you're an intern in the kingdom of God are you saved? You're an intern in the kingdom of God. You say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be a big deal. Are you? Now, he's got a place in his kingdom for you, but you remember what he told uh, those who wanted to sit on the right and left hand of the Father? He said it should be given to those who earn it. It's not just going to be given out of favoritism or nepotism or anything else. Be a big deal in the kingdom of God is what he's saying. That's that's, that's bigger. Listen, prosperity is wonderful. But Jesus said, I I don't want you just to merely have material possessions you can throw in a storage locker somewhere. I I would like you to have a life that bears spiritual fruit. Because spiritual fruit isn't temporary. Spiritual fruit is eternal. See, the lists are similar, but the, the, the end game is much, much different. God wants to bless you financially. Listen, there's nothing about an equivalence between being poor and holiness. I grew up here in the Baptist South. A lot of people, you know, my dad was a pastor, and you often heard deacons saying things like, you know, we'll keep you poor so God can keep you humble. As if being poor somehow makes you more holy. That's nonsense. Read your Bible. God's children in the Bible from... Adam and Eve are basically the king of the world, so that's not even fair. But go to Abraham, the next character. Abraham's wildly rich. So is his children then... And then Joseph's the prime minister of Egypt and and when they finally do leave Egypt after having been enslaved, the Bible says they took the wealth of Egypt with them. You say, how do you know? Because they overlaid the Ark of the Covenant in pure gold. That's how you know. I mean, they had the wealth of Egypt with them. They spoiled the country of Egypt who was the superpower of the world in the day that God brought them out. You say, well, it ended there. David was crazy rich. Solomon was crazy rich. And on and on the list goes. Daniel's the prime minister of Babylon, chief president of of, of Babylon. On and on the list goes. You know, you say, well, Jesus was poor. Well, now you get to it. Jesus was poor. But that's why when Jesus showed up, he didn't fit their wish list. Because they were looking for a warrior king with flowing robes who would give them national security and a chicken in every pot and a BMW in every driveway. You say, that's what they were looking for in a Messiah. And that's why they missed it. Listen to me. God wants you to be financially blessed. God wants you to, but maybe for a different reason than you want it. You want it to be comfortable and lazy. You, you say you want it so you can be comfortable and more comfortable and more. How comfortable does a person have to be? You see what I'm saying? You already have a king size bed and a, and a lazy boy. I mean, half of you have hot tubs and swimming pools and hammocks. On. How much more comfort do you need? Want to upgrade to a Tempur-Pedic? Okay, go buy it. But once you get it, how much more do you need then? You see what I'm saying? Where does that end? God wants you to be financially blessed so that the wealth of this world will pass through the hands of His children so that you'll be a conduit of blessing to others. See, if you want to be wealthy for the right reason, you want to be wealthy so that you can be a channel of blessing. If you want, Jesus said, I'd love to make you wealthy, but I want you to be a distribution center." So maybe if you get into the mindset of, I want to be a distribution center for Jesus Christ, maybe then the wealth begins to flow. Does that make sense? Let it pour into your life, but he's not going to pour it into the Dead Sea where nothing happens, but we just keep upgrading mattresses and cars and shoes and, and upgrading and upgrading and upgrading. There's no limit to that. And Solomon trying that lifestyle said, it's all vanity. It was a waste of time and money, every bit of it. So, what matters? Seek God, have a relationship, things that last, experiences are more important than stuff. So, now Jesus prays over his disciples, and I'm just going to give them to you real quick because I don't have time to read them. My time's about done, but maybe you could go to John 17 later this week. And it's where, right before Jesus goes to the cross, he gets down on his knees and he says, One more parting prayer for my disciples. Let me just tell you what's on his list. That they might be one. You guys in the booth just follow me. That they might be one. Here's what he says. Father, I'm praying that they would be one like you and I are one. That means relationship. Susan and I are one. We are one. You know what that means? We're, we're in an intimate, close relationship. We know everything about each other. We experience life together. We do stuff together. We're together in this life. You know what Jesus wants for you? You know what's on his list? that you'd have that kind of relationship with Him. That you would never do life without Him. That your whole abundance and your whole, everything would be about being connected to God and letting God's joy and love and and things flow through your life. He said, I want them to have joy. He said, Father, I'm coming to you and I'm speaking these things to you that my joy might be fulfilled in them. And by the way, parents, isn't this what you want for your kids? Now I know you want them to have money and you want them to have a better life than you have and that's kind of the American thing. But really, pull that all aside. What you're really saying is I want them to have lasting joy. I do not want to see my kids miserable or hurting or upset. I want my kids to be happy. I want them to live lives filled with joy. It's exactly what Jesus prayed. But he prayed it, see how he prayed prayed it in a very different lasting way. And he said they're going to have joy because they're connected to us, God. And being connected to God is about optimism and courage. Remember, I mean, we talked about that last week. Uh, not discouragement, encouragement, constant encouragement by being connected to God. Then he prayed in verse 15 Father, keep them from evil. This is something I pray for my boys all the time. When I pray for your kids, I pray this for your kids. God, keep them out of trouble. God, keep them away from temptation. God, deliver them from evil. God, don't let harm come to our children. God, don't let evil touch our families. God, build a protection around us. And if no evil has touched your family, then you can thank God that he answers prayers, that no harm has come to your family. As he prays for his disciple, he's not praying for the next fad. He didn't say, God, give them all a really cool horse or a really cool car. He said, Father, verse 22 and 23, I want them to know they're loved. I want them to know they're loved. Father, keep them in your love. Let them feel your love. Do you feel the difference in these lists? It's not just a thing. This is a life life thing now. I want my kids. I want my husband. I want my wife. I want my parents. I want my friends. I want my disciples to know that they are loved. Not just by me, but God, by you. Fill us. Shower us. Immerse us in your love. Last part of his prayer, verse 24. Father, I desire that they whom you have given me may, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. What he's praying there is he's like, I want them to be with me. I'm coming home to heaven in a few hours. I'm about to die on the cross and I'm about to see you face to face. I'm coming home to heaven. Get my throne ready. I'll be there shortly. But God, before I leave this earth, I want these people who I love and who I have a relationship to be with me. Now, again, the holidays have taken a different meaning for the empty nesters. Aaron, you can't get any peace and quiet in your house with five kids running around. But over at the Harrell house, it's eerily quiet. Eerily quiet. Is it eerily quiet sometimes at the Smith abode? Brady's there, okay. All right. <coughs> Mike and Kim Smith, there you go. It's eerily quiet at the Smith house at times. And you know what? You, you look forward to something different now at the holidays. You say, what do you want? I want to hear the voices of my kids filling the house. Last night, uh, Friday night, uh, Andrew showed up with five of his small group disciples from the university. They all piled into the house. They went to the game yesterday. Boomer, by the way. And, uh, but all the UT crowd spent the night at our house uh, Friday night and got up, went to the game. I'm going to tell you what. It was eerily quiet no more. The house was filled with the sounds of people we love. Does that make sense? Jesus is saying, Father, I'm coming home. And I'm going to leave them alone. And they're going to be sad. And I'm going to be sad a little bit. And so here's my prayer. I want them to be with me eventually, all together, sitting at the table again. All together. Can you imagine how raucous heaven is going to be? Some of you guys have got a wrong imagination, I'm telling you. You talk about a party, you talk about loudness, you talk about voices and singing and laughter and joking, and you have no idea. Heaven's going to be filled with the voices of God's children all together in one place at one time. And His prayer for His disciples, His list is different because it involves things that are very lasting, experiential, relational. So what happens, let me close right here, is God merges our lists. You have a list of things you're asking God for. God has a list of things He wants for you. Does that make sense? And so we've got to get the two lists together. We've got to merge your list with God's list because sometimes you've not asked for enduring quality. It's not that you've asked for a bad thing. It's not that you've asked for a wrong thing. But God needs to make a substitution to your list. He needs to give you an alternate item. Does that make sense? Than what you've asked for. Let me see if I can make this make sense. So when the boys were little, they would, you know, they'd watch TV, get the sale ads, whatever. Somehow they came up with a list of things they wanted. Sometimes they cut them out, and glued them to a piece of paper so you knew exactly which toys they were, whatever. So I've got a list. I go to, you know, Target, Walmart, wherever, and I'm standing there looking at this toy for twenty nine, thirty nine dollars And I'm like, it's the cheapest piece of plastic junk I've ever seen in my life. It'll last a week. I have two boys. They ain't destroy anything. It may last a day. And I'm sitting there in the store playing with it, saying, what do you do with it? And how is this even going to be any fun? Does that make sense? And so when I'm looking at that $29 thing, I'm like, the boys saw pre-advertisements on TV for this and got sucked in the hype. This is a piece of junk. There's no way that I'm buying this piece of junk that they'll never play with. You know, for 20, 30, 40 dollars. So I start searching, and then I find something that is worth 20, 30 dollars. That looks like it'll last more than a week, and I can see how they would play with it. And so even though they ask for this, I go over here and I upgrade to something of more quality, and because of my generosity, they're going to get something better than the original thing they asked for. In my generosity, they got an upgrade. I remember one year, someone on my list, I don't remember who it was, or maybe a Rick Vogler, or something, I don't know who it was. Somebody was on my list, and they asked for a pocket knife. This I do remember. And so I went to the store to get the pocket knife, and I'm looking at it, and it's still probably $29, or something like that, but as I'm looking at it, I'm like, you know what? It's just not that good of a knife. It's just not a piece of quality steel. I'm sorry, I don't do knitting much, ladies. My illustrations are a little more masculine, but it's just not going to to last, Aaron. You know what I'm saying? Open one cardboard box, you have to sharpen it again. It's not going to hold an edge. Stamp made in China or something. You know what I'm saying? It's not going to work out. But you look just across the, the way here, and on the rack, here's an American-made, Christian-owned company, Buck Knives. Now, the Buck Knife's $39. Maybe $49. But you can throw that 20 in the trash or you can upgrade them and give them something that would last them literally a lifetime. So in my generosity, you get the upgrade even though you asked for the inferior product. Anybody tracking with me right now? Sometimes the thing you're asking God for is inferior to the thing He really wants to give you. Sometimes what we want is cheap and temporary. It will not last. And there's a better option out there. So in God's generosity, you get an upgrade. You asked for this and God said, let me get you something else. Let me get you something even better than what you asked for. Now, maybe we don't ask for the better option because we don't know the better option's even available. But God knows all things. Maybe we didn't ask for the better option because we didn't think we were worthy of such a wonderful gift. Maybe we have an inferiority complex towards ourselves. thinking, well, God would never do that for me. You know, sometimes when you ask someone for a gift, when they say, what's on your list, and you give them the list, you, you, you would never put on that list like two $300 items. Can you imagine that? What if I said, "Hey, hey, uh, Zoe, give me your list. I want to buy you something for Christmas." You wouldn't throw down like, "I need a new iPhone, I need a new car, I need a, you know what I'm saying, I need a new couch, I need a new big screen." Because you're you're like, "That wouldn't be appropriate. You don't know how much I've got to spend, and you're not sure our relationship could sustain such a request." Does that make sense? Sometimes we don't ask for the big thing because we're not sure our relationship is that strong. So God, I'll just take some cheap stamped in China, made in China yeah. junk, because that's about all I'm worthy of and I'm, I'm really not sure I've got enough relationship with you to ask for the big things and for the thing I really need. You know what God says? I wish you'd, you have not because you asked not. And if you'd work on your relationship with me a little bit, gosh, you could ask if if your words abide in me, uh, my words abide in you and you abide in me, you can ask whatever you want. How's that? So what he says is let's work on our relationship a little thing. That kind of opens up the platinum card to you. That kind of opens up, you know what I'm saying? And when you say, what do you need? I don't know, Bobby, how about a new SUV? Okay, there you go, Zoe, have a nice day. Now, I don't have the resources to give that lavishly, Zoe, but my Heavenly Father does. So while you're asking for this, this, and this, God may be over here saying, okay, I'm going to upgrade you. When God makes a substitution, He will never downgrade you. He will always give you an upgrade. Put this up on the screen. I want you to go home with this in your heart. When you've asked for something and you don't really get the something you've asked for, here's what you have to know. God's never going to give you something cheap and junky in repla- replacement. If He makes a substitution to your list, you will always benefit because of His generosity. Now imagine the childishness that sometimes we throw at God when we get on the floor and kick our heels and, and scream and cry and say, God, give me what I asked for. And He's saying to you, no, but I sure did upgrade you. And I can't believe you're crying over that piece of junk that you never going to benefit you anyway. It wasn't going to bless your life. It wasn't going to help your life. And you weren't, it really wasn't going to work out the way you thought it was going to work out for. So rather than giving that junky old job you were praying for, just hold on because I got a good job on the way for you. And rather than crying and squalling and fussing because I didn't give you that man you wanted to marry that woman you wanted to marry, I didn't want your life to be hell on earth. I've got a great spouse over here waiting for you. If you just be patient, it's on the way. Does that make sense? Almost every person in this room, I think Garth Brooks or somebody wrote this in a song, thank God for unanswered prayers, where God didn't give you the person you thought you wanted when you were 18. You know what I'm saying? Thank God that he's so much better at giving than we are at asking but here's what you need to know. When God substitutes into your list and gives you the alternate thing instead, you will never get a downgrade. You will always, because of His generosity, get God's upgrade. The more we mature physically and spiritually, the more our lists are going to change. Just like I've watched it happen in the biological development of my children, the more you grow spiritually, you start praying differently. You start asking Differently. God's wish list for us foremost. Relationship with his son Jesus Christ. Through which he can then flow all the blessings of life. And eternity into your lives. To grow in relationship to bear fruit. To make disciples. To be on mission. To live lives filled with optimism and courage. And to take risks for the kingdom of God. God has a big wish list for you. Time would fail me to articulate it. For a moment this morning, what I want you to do is you were all given a gift tag as you came in. There's a pen in about every other seat there. Here's what I want you to do this morning. No names, no initials, all anonymous. But I want you to take that gift tag this morning and I want you to write out, if I could ask God for anything, this is what I would ask for this morning. This is our exercise. Give me just a little bit of house light in the room so they can write. If you guys, Andrew, can you help us with house lights, please? Just a little house light in the room. Just a little, bring it up there. You get A little more. Perfect. All right, take your gift tag. I'm not going to let you leave until you do it. Who needs a tag? Hey, Chris, can you help us out since you're back there? There we go. we got some people coming to help. Awesome. Just hold your hand up. They're coming to you. You're coming to you. Small group leaders, you can help out a little bit real quick here, so we don't have to stay through lunch. There you go. There you go. All right, find a pin. Got two sides if you need it. After the service, I'm going to hang these on the. Ask you to hang them on the foyer at the display board in the foyer. Somebody will be there to help you because I want to come by and pray over this list this week. And I want some of our other church people who are people of prayer to come by this during these weeks of Christmas. And I want you just to read tags and pray for people who ever prayed for this, God, answer their prayers. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? You got your tag? Grab a pen. If I could ask God for anything this morning, this is my wish list. And just write it out. This is what I would ask for. I've heard what the Scripture says. I've heard the sermon. I know the kinds of things God wants to give me. I know the lavishness of His giving. Listen, God said, I will give to you. I have the ability to give to you abundantly above. This is KJV, all that you ask or think. NIV, immeasurably more than you could ever imagine is how much platinum card He's got. Immeasurably more than you could ever imagine. So don't be afraid to ask big. But think about why you're asking. If I could ask for anything, this is what I would ask for this morning. He's working on his list back there. I am hearing. He just wants food for lunch, it sounds like. His list is simple. Change me, feed me, give me a big hug and a kiss. But you're not children. Yours is a little deeper. All right, you got it? Got something there? Now, let me tell you what you're holding in your hand this morning. What you're holding in your hand is really a prayer request. That's what you're holding in your hand. So it's my wish list. It's really a prayer request. Rather than hypothesize about what I hypothetically might ask God for, there it is. He said, you have not, because you ask not. If my words abide in you, you abide in me, you can ask whatever you want. So this morning, let's exercise our let's exercise our prerogative as God's children and let's take our prayer request and let's pray it right now to our heavenly father our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed let's let's begin to have a season of prayer as we close this service the greatest gift ever given of course was when God gave Jesus Christ to us to be our savior if you've never received Christ as your savior Go ahead and receive the greatest gift of all time and eternity and open your heart to Christ right now and ask Him to come in. If you don't know how to pray that prayer, pray, Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I know that I need a Savior and God, I believe You sent Your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. This is why we celebrate Christmas. He came... To live and to die and to be raised from the dead, to be my Savior. And this morning, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. Right now, I accept your forgiveness. What a great gift that is. I accept your mercy. What a great gift that is. Thank you, God. And right now, I open my heart and my life and I receive you. I accept you, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and Savior. I accept what you did on the cross and rising from the grave to be credited to my account. Lord, I accept your righteousness to be credited to my account. Thank you, God, for loving me and saving me and adopting me into your family today. This is the greatest gift ever given. And This is my prayer. In Jesus' name, while Christians are praying this morning, you have your prayer request in your hand. Ask. Take your wish list and merge it into God's wish list for you and begin to pray over what you wrote down and ask God to give it to you. While you're praying, you might go ahead and tell God that if He wants to make a substitution to your list because He knows better than you know and He has more to spend than you could imagine maybe you just go ahead and tell God if He wants to make a substitution, that'd be great with you too. You'd be fine with an alternative. Knowing that if He makes a substitution, it'll always be an upgrade for you. Many times in your life, God has given you something different, something better than you've asked for. Why not take a moment this morning in God's house and say, God, you have, you have often substituted into my list. The person I did marry wasn't the person I thought I would marry, but God, you, wow, what an upgrade you gave me. God, the kids I have are not the way I imagined they would be, but God, what an upgrade you gave me. God, the home I have is not what I ever imagined I would have. God, what an upgrade you've given me. God, the life I'm living and the security that I'm feeling and the peace that I'm feeling and the the level of blessing in my life I could have never imagined. But God, you've really upgraded my life. Thank you. God, with gratitude, I honor you this morning and I praise you for your generosity for Your lavish giving into my life. God, You have done immeasurably more for me than I could have ever asked or thought. God, forgive me of neglecting our relationship. God, help me to work on that. Because God, I understand this morning that all all the goodness of God can only flow into my life through this relationship with Jesus Christ. You're everything. We worship you this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet very quietly. Jeremy's going to close us in a worship song. Many of you have been through starting point in the last few weeks. If you need to go ahead and make that official this morning, come come and see Pastor Aaron right here. Say, I've been through starting point. I'm ready to make a commitment to the church now. If you need to use the altars, they're yours.